Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we're offering five conversations from episode 60. Our special coverage of Madrigal Pharmaceuticals' release of Maestro Nash Phase 3 data originally posted this past Wednesday. This conversation comes from the larger group episode. It starts with my asking our large and diverse set of panelists what reaction they had when they first heard the day's news. People address several different points, ranging from Mazanura Dean's relief that we now have a Phase 3 trial that achieved efficacy and safety goals, to Scott Friedman's anticipation of increased enthusiasm and energy for the entire set of stakeholders, to patient advocate Mike Patel's question, are we ready for this? One other interesting outlook from Chris Cavley and Jorn Schottenberg, this is the second positive Phase 3 trial in terms of efficacy, which might clear the field for a simpler approval process and, more importantly, makes approval viable in the EU where EMA requires both NAS improvement and regression of fibrosis. Entrepreneur Rachel Zayas points to her decision a couple of years ago to pivot her company from hepatocellular carcinoma to NASH as what she calls, and I quote, a bet on science, a statement that aligns with my persistent belief that this study will open the doors for more investment and involvement. Jorn and Mazen discuss some of the specific elements of patient screening and population that demonstrate the power of this study. And as the conversation ends, I share the idea that while the researchers began their conversations by talking about patients, patient advocate Donna Cryer began her earlier conversation by talking about investors, and I comment about what this thinking, both sides of it, represent to me. Here in Nashville, where we all live, the world changed for good on Monday. This is a quick take on some of what that change might look like. It will be interesting in years ahead to look back on this conversation to see what we got right and wrong. And you get a sneak peek right now. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the conversation in our LinkedIn discussion group. We're here on short notice because of this morning's announcement from Magical Pharmaceuticals. I'm going to use a different groundbreaker, which is I'm going to ask everybody to share a reaction you had in terms of how that announcement affects what you do every day of your life in connection with fatty liver space. Um, bold one, go first. Scott Friedman. I'll, I'll jump in if that's okay. Um, I, this is uh, so important because it reopens the floodgates of interest on by all stakeholders in treating this disease, uh, not just the investment community, but patients, providers, everybody who was uh, a bit fatigued by the, the negative results that have been piling up and uh, the concern that maybe this is a disease that can't be treated, although I never believe that. But just the idea that the space is alive and well and ready for continued growth and advances. It's a great start. Mazen Nuruddin. Uh, I was like, oh, finally, <laughs> there, there's no disappointment. Uh, quite happy. It's, as Scott said, it's, it's great news. And it tells us a lot of things that we have learned throughout the years. It still opens the door for more work for all of us. It talks about combination therapy. It talks about that we can reach efficacy. There, we'll talk about details, but there was some consistency with the previous trials. And I want to Congratulate the patients first, uh, Madrigal second, uh, Nash researchers, um, and, and many people around the world for this. Um, I, I think this is a great start for first uh, first phase three drug to be approved. Hopefully. Mike Bottel. Uh, I, I was um, incredibly excited. Actually, I found out from Roger because he, he asked if we were available today, and that's how I knew about it. And then I immediately went online and started to read all like the, the news that came out. And so... 
for patients, like Mazin said, the, the patients that have been waiting so patiently to to have something to be able to treat their NASH uh, is a huge step forward. Uh, and then at the same time, the other side of the coin is, you know, are we ready? And are, for example, primary care physicians ready for the all of the, the huge amount of number of people that are going to be coming forward when they start to hear the news? So exciting day. Chris Cowdley. Yeah, I, I would echo all of those comments. I think there are several other um, key points that uh, should be emphasized. You know, the the fact that there was a dose-response relationship between uh, efficacy results um, uh, speaks to the activity uh, uh, of, of, of the compound. The uh, safety is uh, very reassuring. Uh, the additional favorable effect on LDL cholesterol is another finding that, uh, you know, I think is very encouraging uh, to us. Uh, it's interesting that uh, the results in terms of fibrosis are similar to what we've seen with uh, the other positive phase three study. Um, uh, but the um, but the favorable effects on lipids uh, is certainly is certainly something that uh, is even uh, more encouraging in the sense that we might have metabolic and favorable lipid changes as well. Uh, and to achieve both NASH resolution uh, at a fairly you know attractive rate compared to placebo, really a threefold improvement over placebo, uh, along with uh, fibrosis reduction by one stage in this trial, I think is uh, very encouraging. But at a broader level, I think in terms of drug development uh, for NASH, um, it, this shows a path forward. I think we still need to continue to challenge ourselves and the community on developing non-invasive tests because they paralleled the histologic findings in this study. And finally, Finally, I would say that um, the idea that, uh, you know, we can see successful results now in our second phase three trial, I think is uh, very much a shot in the arm for those of us who really believe that there's a huge unmet need and, uh, you know, we need different types of pathways to be explored for treating this this uh, uh, epidemic at this point. Yeah, if, if I were a competitor, I would be thrilled because, number one, this is positive. Uh, it, barring something unforeseen, one would hope and expect the drug will be approved. But with a 24% response rate, uh, that leaves 76% of patients uh, who need something else uh, or something in addition. And so it, it sort of, uh, it's it, it's a best of both worlds from a drug development perspective. Certainly, we'd love a home run and pack up our bags and, and move on to something else, but that's hardly the case. We need to do better uh, in capturing benefit for all patients, not for 24%, but this is a major step in the right direction, and it reinforces to everybody that this is a fight worth fighting because we can move the needle. Jörn Schattenberg. Yeah, it's great. I had two thoughts, you know, also on the reflection of the colleagues here. The first thought is, is this is the second part positive phase three trial. And the first one had some troubles crossing the finish line based on the side effect profile. And Chris mentioned this, I think we're not seeing that same deleterious side effect profile here. So I was wondering, you know, there, there can't be the same bothersome progress in FDA negotiations here to not get conditional approval, because really, I think that, that that's been cleared with that result. I mean, we're seeing not all, these are top line results, we're seeing not all the details, uh, particularly on safety, um, but it doesn't sound like safety is going to be in its way. Uh, so that's great news. The second thought I had was, uh, as Chris mentioned, both endpoints are met. The EMA actually requires 
in contrast to the FDA, both endpoints to be met, which, you know, to me felt, well, even European agencies might consider this drug to be approvable, which is, um, you know, great news for, for us uh, on this side of the world. Can I add also something on the safety? I just want to remind everyone that there were uh, data presented also from their open arm, uh, single cirrhosis uh, arm uh, that relied on non-invasive testing and the drug was safe in that cohort in a previous presentation. So I think we have a good profile of safety data. Um, and, and there are many comments actually to be made about this study and there are many lessons to be learned. So happy to keep going with this conversation. Rachel Zayas. So for most on this call, you know that I am new to the NASH space. We pivoted the company two years ago from hepatocellular carcinoma to focus on NASH and fibrosis. And many said that this was a mistake because there was no therapeutic agents that had been approved. So there was nothing for patients to do except have lifestyle modifications. And I pushed back on that. And I said that those comments are betting against science and betting against the scientific method. So really excited to be part of this conversation today. And I think as others have outlined on this call so far, this changes the narrative for various key stakeholders, for patients, providers, for other drug developers, as well as those developing medical devices specifically non-invasive diagnostic tools. Um, So this changes my day-to-day life and my day-to-day operations because this is the second positive um, readout. And this is exciting and innovative. And I think that this is really going to change the strategy going forward for so many. Unless we think this was a shot in the dark, I think there's one statistic that's very uh, impressive, and that's a 10% placebo response, which is far lower than other trials. And I would only imagine reflects the accumulated wisdom of the field in uh, enriching the population for patients who need the drug and are more likely to benefit from it. So hats off to people like Mazen and Chris and Jorn who are spearheading a lot of these clinical trials. Just to comment on that quickly, Roger, then I'll head back to you. Be reminded that uh, this uh, the trial actually required three metabolic risk factors, elevated uh, TE um, to be present in order to be screened. So I think, uh, you know, for those people who wonder, is this by pure chance that we're seeing this now? I think the response is this is a, a more targeted selection of patients. Very simple, three metabolic risk factors, transendolistography, then biopsy to get enrolled. So I think that's an important point. I, I want to add to that, actually. Uh, those are very, very important comments. And um, it started hearing people comparing this to this drug and that drug. And I want to caution people about comparing to other drugs because I think the placebo, I hate to say it, I called it a little bit bipolar this morning, Uh, but the trend in in these trials are as as following. As, As Scott said, it's one of the lowest uh, placebo response we have or we have seen. Nevertheless, phase three studies in general, they seem to have a lower placebo response, response compared uh, to phase two. So the New England Journal of Papers that came out from phase twos, to Scott's point, uh, they put Nash resolution at 17, 18% and fibrosis improvement and between 16 and, and 20%. Now, with the obetacolic acid data, they actually had also low NASH resolution for placebo, and they had low fibrosis improvement placebo, similar to the Madrigal. Indeed, uh, the resmeterone data, the placebo response was slightly higher than uh, obetacolic acid, which speaks of um, also the robustness uh, of the results. So if I want to recap it, phase two studies seem to have higher placebo response compared to the phase three studies. Now, another point, actually, which if you look at the resmeterone previous trial, the NASH resolution was about the same for 
or the previous study to this study. So you can argue that data held consistent. Uh, I think they were in the 24% then, and now we're at 30%, but their placebo was lower in the phase two study. I think the initial resolution was about, about 6 to 7%. They did not achieve fibrosis, and the study was not powered to achieve fibrosis in their phase two study, but their fibrosis and uh, placebo fibrosis improvements was in the 20% back then. So the good news is they held consistent. They're showing that NASH activity resolution lead to fibrosis improvement, which I actually did not bet on for this study. I said they will achieve NASH resolution, not fibrosis improvement. So they hit both, which is great. And I think at the Scott's point, we're learning in the field and things are improving. And I want to remind the audience that this trial had two pathologists reading these slides. Duly noted about the pathologist uh, reading and, and all the other points. I, I, I just want to share a funny comment, which is when we talked to Stephen Harris a little earlier today about this in advance of uh, the episode about the NASHTAG preview, he started by talking about what this meant for the patients. Mazen started by talking about what this meant for the patients. When we talked to Donna Cryer earlier in the day, she started by talking about what it meant for the investors, which I thought was interesting, but not inappropriate because ultimately what investment will benefit patients really more than anybody else, right? Think about Mike's comment about the need to educate patients and frontline treaters. We can't do that without money and money has been in short supply. Uh, so the investment will not only fuel the drug development, which is which is critical, but it will also fuel the education and marketing support and the other things that will um, really speed the diffusion of information. One of the things I like about this kind of thing is it, it, it really is a web, right? It, it, so many different places get touched. Um, and then also to Rachel's point, one of the reasons I wanted to have Rachel on today specifically is because I wanted to ask Rachel a question we'll go back to in a couple of minutes, but which is how do the, colla the collateral entrepreneurs specifically benefit? I mean, we know what this will mean for the drug developers, but and we know what it will mean for the big device and diagnostic companies, but what does it mean for the people who are really trying to move the, the envelope out of the margins, kind of doing the work that Rachel's doing? Since since the hope is that in 10 to 15 years, it's, it's worked like what Rachel's doing. And Rachel, it doesn't mean you're going to have to be in the wilderness for 10 to 15 years. But the hope is that in 10 to 15 years, the kind of work that she's doing right now is going to be what pushes us way further ahead, where she's commercializing. So there's this real weave as we dive into the study. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next week with the rest of our year-end reviews. Two episodes that include conversations with Mazen Nuruddin, Ken Cousy, Jeff Lazarus, Stephen Harrison, Naeem Alkhoury, and Ian Rowe. You'll want to hear all of it. Until then, wishing all of you a wonderful holiday season and best wishes for a fantastic 2023. Stay safe, surf on. We'll see you next year on the podcast. Bye-bye now.